What's going on, Law Nation? Welcome to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, your favorite place for learning about the world of alternative passive investments so that you can have more freedom, flexibility, and fun. If you're ready to kick that billable hour to the curb, start by going to attorneybydesign.com to download the Freedom Blueprint, which will also get you access to opportunities to partner with us on one of our next passive real estate investments. We'd love to get you on board, get you on your way to your first or your next passive deal and income stream. All right, today's topic, let's talk a little bit about good sponsors and gut feelings. Now, when we're talking about passive investing in real estate, in a real estate syndication, We've already established that out of the sponsor, the market, and the deal, the sponsor is by far the most important out of the three. And that's because the people running the show are the ones that are going to determine the outcome of success on your projected returns and your hard-earned capital. But how do you really know who you're investing with? How do you really know that the people that you give your hard-earned cash to are going to be good stewards of your money and they are going to do everything in their power to make this a successful investment for you. Well, unfortunately, you don't. There's only so much you can do. Of course, you got to do your due diligence. You've got to do the things, um, the fundamental things. Um, Make sure you check their track record out. Do your Google searches. Ask around. Do your networking. Make sure that these people and their backgrounds check out and that they are who they say they are. Make sure they've had success in their past real estate deals or and or uh, their past businesses and their careers. Make sure that they have a track record of ongoing success. And after you do all that, though, what do you need to do next? You really need to take that call. You know, everyone asks for, including myself, I say, jump on a call with me. Let's talk about your financial goals. Let's talk about this deal. What questions do you have? Take that opportunity. Take that call and trust your gut. What does your gut tell you? Um, Do you get that good feeling that, you know, one, they're not only, they need to be intelligent. They need to know what they're talking about. They need to understand the investing space and the investments in the real estate or the business or whatever it is that um, their business is, right? So they have to have the, they have to be competent. Um, they have to have the intelligence and the knowledge to be competent in their space. And the second thing is, what do you think about them as far as character is concerned? How do you feel about them? Are, are they just trying to sell you something? Of course, we're all in the sales game, right? We're selling ourselves to a significant other or um, a date, or we're selling um, cars or houses or businesses or whatever it is. But are you just being hard sold? Or do you really feel like they care about you and their investment and they're passionate about what they do and they are good people and they are trustworthy and transparent? So that's really what is the qualitative over the quantitative. You're not going to be able to put that on a spreadsheet and say, 
you know, this sponsor is better than this sponsor because he gets a 10 out of 10 and this person gets a seven out of 10. It's all about that gut feeling. And sometimes you just have to trust it. So our awesome guest today, Omar Khan, is the founder of Boardwalk Wealth and has over 10 years of investing experience across real estate and commodities. He's advised on $3.7 billion of capital financing and M&A transactions and has syndicated huge multi-million dollar deals across the U.S. And he's an expert at passive investing quality and describing that qualitative versus quantitative uh, description of how you evaluate a sponsor. Without further ado, let's jump in. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Omar, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Hey, Seth. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Glad we're finally able to get you on the show. Well, let's just jump right in, man. Tell us a little bit about your background, your story, and feel free to take it back as far as you'd like. Sure. Look, it's, it's not as exciting as maybe some of your other guests. You know, I'm on the I'm a finance guy. Uh, my family has been is in business, has been in business for a long time. You know, we we had the whole personal background is in that, professional background was in running construction deals on the institutional side. Started kind of this business not because of any of those reasons, because we had a tax problem, a good one. We had a lot of gains. We wanted to shout for taxes. And given my background professionally in running construction deals on the institutional side for a decade plus, uh, some of the personal background with regards to the family being in business, being commercial real estate investors. I just had a good exposure to all the tax write-offs and all of those sort of things. Obviously, that's knowledge that keeps building over a period of time, right? So we had a tax, we had a problem, tax case, wanted to shelter it, had a good personal and professional background. And that was basically the start and impetus of uh, the journey, basically. I wish I had a cooler story, you know, like I always wanted to do this. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah. So well, I that mean, was that in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, taxes are always a good reason, man. And that's a great reason to get into real estate are, are the tax benefits. And I think some people might uh, not think of that. They just think of real estate is a good investment. They don't take into account, you know, sometimes when they compare, let's say, stocks to real estate, they don't take into account, you know, they're like, oh, I can make, uh, you know, 12% on stocks and I can make uh, about the same in real estate. Uh, and But they don't take into account the tax benefits, which are, yeah. Huge. So that's not. Yeah, that's, you know, I think. One should do both things. I've always never understood my people. I just do this for that. I'm like, well, you know, we're lucky to live in a country with so many options, so many opportunities. Why not partake in everything that can help us get ahead in life, financially at least? Yeah, it's all about, it's not just about what you make, it's what you keep. So the, exactly. the, the tax piece is super important, especially for a lot of our listeners out there that are, um, you know, W-2s, they're lawyers, they're doctors, um, folks like that. So we get taxed like crazy. I mean, Uncle Sam is always in our pocket. So a super important issue for, for all of you know the pain man we have the same uh, we have the same issue yeah but you're i think you're a lawyer right yeah you're a lawyer obviously yep. right i've been finance my wife's a physician uh, dude i mean it's just like i've told a lot of people look if you forget about ever getting a, a salary raise or any of that stuff if you just optimize your tax problem as an example let's assume whatever look if your household income you make like whatever say three four five hundred grand a year you're paying at least a hundred thousand dollars in tax minimum i don't care where you live in the country it, it's going to happen, right? Dude, you even save like say half of that, say 100, you pay 120, you save half of that, 60 grand a year. That's five grand a month. 
I mean, that pays for your kid's college education. That pays for your vacation. That pay, I mean, that literally takes care of a lot of problems. That pays for a bigger house and a bigger mortgage in case you wanted to pull down that thing. You could do a lot of damage with 5000 extra dollars of pure cash a month. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. So tell us a little bit about your current business. What is it? And, and, and tell us just a little bit about that. Look, so the primary business is development and acquisition. So we do both. We do develop uh, from ground up as well as acquire multifamily. Uh, so the acquisitions is obviously more opportunistic, value add, that sort of stuff. We have a couple of class A core holdings as well. The development market obviously is opportunistic in the sense that we need to get like land at a cheap rate. There's got to be some story there, but that's obviously newer class A buildings. And we've had our portfolios in Texas, Georgia, Florida, and South Dakota. We're obviously looking to expand in other areas, but we try to keep a focus in a couple of areas because there's only so many, only so many battles you can fight in a day, right? And a lot of this is still a relationship business, right? So uh, the more you do, the stronger your relationships in a, in, in a certain locality or a certain jurisdiction become. Yeah. Uh, now you're on the active side. So tell us about, you know, when you decided to go into real estate, why did you decide to jump into kind of that active side? I'm going to start trying to find these buildings. I'm going to try to buy them. Um, rather than, let's say, go to the, the passive side? So look, in my particular case, as I told you, I was actually running instruction deals on the institutional side. So luckily for me, this is pure luck. This is not like by design. I actually had experience on the investment sales side, both as an advisor and as well as on the buying side. So for me, when I had this tax problem, it was very obvious that for me to take big swings and get this problem solved, I had to get a lot of the, I had to do, I had to have like a lot of write-offs. So me investing 50, 100 grand, 200 grand wasn't going to get me there again because I was in a very privileged and lucky position with the gains that we had on a couple of investments. So that's why it was a combination of personal circumstances and professional background. For instance, I could have had the same tax situation, but if I wasn't running a structural deal, didn't have the investment sales background, I might have actually done passive because I mean, didn't have those resources at my disposal, right? So a lot of this came down to having the problem, having the resources, and then marrying them together. Yeah, that makes sense. And the reason I'm asking is just because a lot of our listeners are lawyers, they're doctors, yeah. they have a full-time W-2. Um, and I had a similar experience at working in big law and, you know, I'm billing 3,000 hours a year and I started trying to flip houses. That was my, my dive. Well, dude, you have a high threshold for pay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and trying to do things like that while you're working full-time and especially as a, as a professional that's making a lot of money salary-wise, it just yeah. doesn't make sense. I, I, I didn't see it then, obviously, at the time. But looking back now, I'm like, why in the world would I do something like that that takes all this time, all this effort, all expends all my decision-making capabilities in a day um, to make just this little bit of money when I could give yeah. my money to a professional, um, an expert like yourself, um, and invest passively and still get great returns? Look, I 100% agree with this. And it's a joke, again, because my wife's a physician, so I get to meet a lot of her friends or physicians. And I always joke with these guys. And for whatever reason, a lot of guys, some guys get it, like the same with lawyers, same with doctors, accounts. Some guys and girls get it, most, most high-paying income professionals. For whatever reason, it takes them a little while. But hey, you make your 200, 300, 500 grand over here as a household income, you actually are ecstatic about doing the job with somebody that makes $20 an hour over the weekend. Like this makes zero sense. Like a lot of these guys tell me, and these are say a doctor couple that might make a million dollars a year, right? And they tell me, oh, I'm cash flowing $250 on my house. I was like, bro, you make a million freaking dollars a year. <laughs> Why are you so excited? What are you going to do with this $250? Right. Right. I mean, it's not even a rounding error in your mind, right? I mean, 
but it's kind of hard to break through. But the intelligent people, when they get it, they literally just go all out. They're like, yep, yeah, look. And like, for instance, you know, if I need an attorney, I'm going to hire you. I'm not going to go, go to law school myself. Right? If people somehow get it in those spheres, but it takes them a little while to understand on the investing side. Yeah. Sometimes they need somebody to explain it to them, to like point that out and say, oh, you're excited. No, about you're right. It's like, oh, you're excited about $250 a month. It's like, yeah, that's great. But, you know, how much effort did you put in to do that, first of all? I mean, you had exactly. to find, find the house, you had to rent it out, you hired a property manager, maybe you did some construction, maybe you're doing the maintenance yourself if it's close, like stupid stuff like that. And you're like, well, wait a minute, dude, think about this. You make all this money. Why in the world would you do that? Except, but I think I've come to the realization, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that at least for high-income high, high uh, income earner professionals, at least. Look, my brother-in-law is an example. He works at a very big tech firm, makes a boatload of money. It's taken him a little while. He's very good with his money. He's a very smart guy, right? I mean, I couldn't be as smart in a million years as how smart he is. But it's taken him a little while. Because I think a lot of this is ingrained into the fact that, hey, I just need to read another book. I just need to take another course. Because that's the way we solved all our problems in life, right? Hey, do better in school or study harder. Just It's just a product of putting as many hours as possible. And a lot of times it's not in life. It's like, dude, it's not just about working hard. You know, you can't just, there's only 24 hours in the day and there's so many things you've got to do. So it takes a little while. You're right. It has, you have to have the right person explain these things to them. But it does, it's very surprising that how many people want to do a $20 an hour job when they're billing out at $300 an hour. Right. Sometimes that's right. It's a, it's a mindset shift. I know for me, it was. I, I grew up with a blue collar background. So it was always trading dollars, uh, trading time for dollars and just working really, really hard if you want to get something. And that's, yeah. all, that's the only answer to any, any question is work harder. Work, work harder, right? Do more hours. Basically. Right. Work, work yeah. harder, put more time in rather than asking, well, Who's the expert? Who can help me? And yeah. Who not how? Right. That that book. Oh, I, was, I swear to God, you took the money. You took the words <laughs> out of my mouth. I was actually going to recommend that book because I'm a strategic coach. I, yeah. Wow, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's a great book. I mean, it, that that's part of that mindset shift is is who not how not how can I do it? How can I put in more work and, and more time to get to where I want to get? It's it's who who can help me get there? Who can expedite that process? Um, especially, like I said, with, with folks um, that are doctors and lawyers and, and you know, have good income, um, you, know, you have the, the capacity, you have the means to hire somebody that's an expert. You don't have to read a book to yeah, try to- and the, uh, and the other <laughs> thing there also is, what's always surprising is, look, especially if you're a doctor, lawyer, to a certain degree, accountant, you basically had to be on your A game since you, like, kind of even before high school. Right? Because you got to nail it in high school to get to a really good school. You got to crush it in your undergrad to go to medical school or law school, right? So you've been on this, like most people have been on this 10, 12, 15 year journey of just crushing it. But it's just everything has to be set aside. Just got to go do this. And I think to myself, well, you know, after all this hard work, don't you kind of want to enjoy yourself a little bit? I mean, you make all this money. Don't you want to like smell the roses, kind of enjoy yourself, you know, enjoy your kids, enjoy your wife or partner? But that's not really the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's dive in. Let's say the, you know, our listeners out there, they decided, you know, we're, we're not going to flip a house. We're going to skip the flip. We're going we're gonna to invest passively. You know, what are some of the things we need to look out here for sponsors? Because you always hear, you know, the sponsors are the most important part of the, part of the whole thing. You talk about the sponsor, the market, the deal, 
almost everyone always says it's the sponsor that's the most important part. You don't just look at the projected returns and compare one yeah. deal to the next. You look at the sponsor. What are some of the things they need to look out for? So look, uh, I know it, what I'm going to say is more qualitative than quantitative. Because like you said, everybody likes to, oh, I'm going to dig into the numbers. I'm like, look, first of all, if the sponsor is intelligent, they're probably not even going to know what the hell's going on. Okay, let's just be very clear. It's, it's a specialization issue, right? It's like you're a lawyer. No freaking way I'm going to know what you're doing because you advise me on what's going on. So what I tell people is because I invest my own money with other people, right? And nine, the two things that I'm screaming for, I can tell you this. These are both qualitative things. Number one is what is my estimation of this person's competence, right? Because, and again, it's qualitative. You kind of find out, you know, it's a gut feeling sort of deal, right? Do I think this person is qualified enough to do the job that they're saying they're doing, not just spewing out lines they heard online, right? And Secondly, do their values match my values? Now, this again is very nebulous because what does values mean? What does good ethics mean? It's really from person to person, right? Because in my opinion, what you don't want is somebody who's extremely honest, right? Really honest person, but a complete idiot. <laughs> What's the point of that? Your money's going to be lost. <laughs> Conversely, you don't want somebody to be basically a super killer, professional, number one in the world, but a Murray Madoff type person. Right, because again, your money's gone. So for me, what's most important is a person's competence and my estimation of their character. Right? Again, it's very qualitative. There's no math or science behind it. It's a gut feeling, and that's why it always helps to talk multiple times, as opposed to money having a burning hole in your pocket. You talk once, right? Here's my money, because it might work, but it might not work. Also. Yeah, I love that. I, I talk about the same thing. It's it's that gut feeling you have. Have a couple of calls with that person. Yeah. Um, before you invest or when you're interested in an investment, what's that gut feeling you get? Do you get the feeling that one, they're competent, they're intelligent, they can actually do what they're saying they can do. They yeah. know about their industry and what they're getting themselves into and the investment that they're asking you to invest in. And, and two, the gut feeling about their character and what they are, how they are as a person. And do you, do you vibe with them? I mean, you're, yeah. you're going to be a business partner with this person for you know two to 10 years. So, I'm going to give you a really good example of this. Look, I have a really good investor. You're going to laugh at this. I have, and this, the first time I heard this, I was still kind of thrown for a loop, but I've heard the story a lot of times now from various people. So I've got a really good investor, right? Super smart. She invested in a lot of people's deals. She's really astute, right? And she and I were having a beer once, and she's, you know, like, hey, what's going on? You know, we all discuss, okay, here, I'm investing with this person. This is what I'm doing, because I know her kids and all that stuff, right? So she was telling me that this one group she's invested with, it's a reasonable size group. I won't say they're the biggest group, but they're a reasonable size group, right? Uh, they, they had, she'd done a deal with them. She, she said this was the best deal in terms of returns she had ever invested in. I was like, great, how much more of your money are you going to give them? And she's like, I'm not going to give them a dollar. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. This doesn't jive us. I was like, look, their job was making money. So what's the problem? And she's like, well, the problem was for the two years that we were in the thing, I was kind of always anxious when dealing with them because number one, I send them a question or a feedback or whatever, whatever, something, right? And either it would go into a black hole or the response I would get would not even be the response to the question I asked. And then I would ask for a clarification and I would just get punted around. The question was never really answered. And I never really felt comfortable with that, right? And it just created an extra layer of anxiety, right? Now, if you think about it, that's something that if you talked a few times, you could maybe try to gauge, right? Just the way the person replies to questions. So again, it was a case of person crushed it, but he or she is still not going to get a lot more money because 
the personal values and how you like interacting with somebody that part didn't really jive. Right, right. They checked the box for number one, but not yeah. for number two, um, because you know she got that vibe that okay, I'm asking them a question. It's pretty. These are simple questions, by the way. These are very straightforward questions. Right, and they're just they're not answering it directly. They're answering like a lawyer. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can say that because I'm a lawyer. But <laughs> well, I can say that too. Trust me, I've had questions for lawyers. Don't get a straight answer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that qualitative, not quantitative. Um, and so let's jump into a little bit of the underwriting stuff. You know, uh, I I don't want to go too deep. We want to keep it kind of high level here um, because a lot of folks, you know, they're going to look at that spreadsheet if even if they ask for it and they get it or yeah. pro forma and the offering memorandum for a passive investment, you know they're not going to know everything you, you kind of alluded okay. to that already is you, you're not going to know the, the full recipe but are there a few things or a couple of things that you could point out um in that underwriting you can do a quick look and say look check or not check um these are things that to kind of look out for yellow flags red flags things like that in the look see at high level wise i mean i would say that personally every rule can be broken for valid reasons number one right so a, a big thing that, for instance, people can look out in the rent comps, you have to know this, that every single sponsor, every single broker, anybody who's trying to sell you any sort of deal, they're going to selectively choose the rent and sales comps that they're putting in. That's just the nature of the beast. You just have to get over that fact very quickly. Okay. Now, if you're, a, uh, if you're an investor, these days at least, you can basically go online, as an example, let's assume the property you're looking to invest in is ABC deal in Atlanta, right? Whatever. Say... Marietta, Georgia, which is in Atlanta, right? Now, you can literally go to Google, type apartments near ABC apartment building in Marietta, Georgia, and you'll get a whole host of various apartments around the place, just on Google Maps, right? And then you as an investor can go to each of the pages individually. You can either go to their homepage of the, say, the apartment complex, or you can even type apartment name, apartments.com, and show up the apartments.com page free to look at. None of this stuff costs money, right? And you can then get a rough idea. Okay, hey, this person's saying, you know, these things are leaving for $1,000. They want to get it to $1,200. The comps around it are $500. <laughs> what is this person going to wave a magic wand? What's going to happen? Or conversely, yeah, the comps around it are for $1,600. They both kind of look visually the same on the pictures. They're similar vintage. Yeah, this kind of makes sense. Again, you're doing a gut check, right? You're not trying to kill somebody in the process, right? Similarly, for instance, if somebody says, as an example, you know, we're, we have rent to pay $1,000, we're going to take them to $1,600 because this is a highly affluent demographic, right? And then you look up the median income in the area. You can go to a website like niche.com, Zipu. I mean, literally just type, uh, schedule zip code, type zip code, type zip code, median income, you'll figure it out. I mean, it's really not that hard. It's all free stuff, right? So this person says, hey, these are very affluent demographics, but it turns out the people there make $15,000 a year going to be a hard problem. It's going to be a pretty hard deal. Conversely, it might be $100,000. And you're like, huh, kind of starts making sense, right? So the big things for me are, especially these B, B plus value sort of deals, uh, the median income. I have met, I have tried every single thing in the book and realized that while you need to do a lot of your homework, the median income is such a good indicator of what What's actually going to happen? I mean, it's kind of scary how good of an indicator it is, right? Even though it's just one data point, if you think about it, right? So median income, school ratings in the area, right? And the rent upside. Because if you kind of have that nailed down for value ideals, look, you'll figure out the rest. That's not a problem. 
Yeah, I love that. Those are really high level things that, you know, even if it's your first deal that you're yeah. invested in. And these are all free, by the way. You, you can get all of this stuff free on Google within like less than five minutes. Yeah. And again, you can just look these things up on Google. Yeah. Um, easy to look up. It's things that you can just check really quickly to see if, if that sponsor is really, you know, exaggerating those numbers a little bit or exactly. kind of selecting uh, the wrong rent comps yeah. and, and things like that. So those are the high level ones. I mean, of course, we can go into as much depth as you like if you want, but high level for value add DB plus type deals, you've got to be chasing at least 150, 200 units, dollars per unit and upside. That's kind of what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any, any others that might be a little bit deeper? Look, sure. Look, as an example, you, we can talk about rent growth all we like. Hey, somebody saying three, conventionally everybody says three, but lately, you know, if you're in these high growth markets like Phoenix, Atlanta, Dallas, Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa, you know, if a sponsor puts in four, four and a half, five percent, well, I mean, look, three years ago, you should be like, look, are you smoking crap? What's going on? Well, last year, things have gone up by 25%. So four doesn't sound too bad, right? A lot of this is a matter of perspective, right? For instance, the rent upside is a big one. Then basically, what is the exit price going to be? Exit price, look, if somebody's buying it, let's say like a 70s vintage property, $250,000, dude, I mean, unless you're on freaking, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to take my words back in six months. Unless you're on like Park Avenue in New York, you're not going to sell it for $400,000. Okay, that's just not going to happen. Okay, I know a lot of guys in Phoenix are doing this. I know this so far has worked, but you're playing with fire here, right? Just saying. So a lot of these are big ticket items, like rent comps, uh, lost leases, vacancy numbers, and then basically what exit price are you exiting at? Because if that's above the cost of development, well, what kind of idiot would buy it off of you then? Right. Right. That exit price slash, you know, that, that exit cap rate makes yeah. a huge difference on, on your overall return over, let's say, a, a five-year period. Um, yeah. it, can, it can exaggerate that uh, incredibly. So that's it in a nutshell. Again, look, you can go as deep as you like down this rabbit hole, but again, if you're a high income earner, you got to pick your poison and realize how much time do I have and do I want to go to this guy's shop? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is you, you are investing as a passive investor. So how much do you, do you want to dive in here? I mean, yeah. you know, we do this professionally and it's a full-time gig compared to you. You're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant. You don't want to know everything, but you've got to spot check. You've got to yeah. take the important points. It's got to pass the smell test, right? It's got to spell the judge and smell test, right? If it does that, you're okay. And this is where screening the right people up front becomes super important, yeah. right? Because if you screen the right people, you're going to have less of these problems. If your screening is kind of weird, you know, this is always going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. For our listeners out there who haven't even invested in a deal yet, I, I think back to that experience of wiring that first $50,000 to yeah. somewhat of a stranger. You know, I, I might have met that person a couple of months ago or a month ago. Um, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking, right? I yeah. mean, you're just wiring this money to some stranger or someone you just met who you, you know, they passed the, the smell deal, passed the smell test, the sponsor passed the gut check, but you're still wiring a big chunk of change yeah. to someone you pretty much just met. What, what are some of the things? that you do and other good sponsors should do to, to make the investment experience a little bit more pleasant and comfortable and put those investors. Look, to be very honest with you, um, most of my investors, they come from word of mouth, right? And it's, it's good in the sense that, for instance, I don't have to do any of the jumping through the hoops part, 
because look, a lot of this is social proof, right? For instance, if a very, so let's assume your wife is invested, your wife or partner, I don't know if you're married, uh, has invested with somebody multiple times. They've done a fantastic job. They said what they were going to do, do what they were going to say. So she says, hey, said, you know, I think we should invest in this person again, right? And you're at a party and you invest with this person and you're, you're talking to a friend. And you're like, hey, you know, my wife and I, we invested five times with this person. That person doesn't need a lot of convincing. Because look, you are presumably the reason why they're talking to you socially is because you're a trustworthy person. So you are going to give a trustworthy uh, recommendation. So a lot of this boils down to how good your word of mouth is from existing investors. So for me, in my case, 90% of my new business is from word of mouth investors. So I've had less of these issues. But the other thing also is what I tell people is a lot of times, look, ask as many questions as you like, because I, I tell them up front, I was like, look, once you send the money and the deal is live, it's not like you can press the button and the money is going to get liquidated, right? I mean, here you go, here's your next 50 grand. So really think about it. And a lot of this boils down to measuring twice and cutting once that old adage. And frankly, yeah, you can create a better and better customer experience. But at the end of the day, if you're not a reliable person, <laughs> you know, none of the customer and experience of the journey you create is going to work. So a lot of this, as again, it boils down to the thing about screening people up front. A lot of this boils down to screen. It's so funny that I have lots of lawyers and accountants, and especially finance guys, because they think everything works on a spreadsheet, right? I mean, I'm a finance guy, right? Uh, and life, yeah, things work on a spreadsheet, but you can't put somebody's level of honesty on a spreadsheet. There is no score for that yet, right? So that's where, for instance, screening the right people up front, having multiple conversations, not being in a hurry to give your money to somebody, that really comes through no matter what way you get it. It's all about the front screening. So if you've got, say, an hour only to think about an investment, spend 59 and a half minutes just on screening the person. The rest of the stuff doesn't even matter, relatively speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of highlights one of the big mistakes I see uh, new investors make, and they're just comparing deal one to deal two looking at basically just projected returns. Like, yeah. okay, this one has an 18% IRR and this one has a 16%. So this 18% deal has got to be better. I'm going to invest in yeah. that deal. They don't even look at the sponsors. They don't look at their track record. They don't get that gut feeling test. They just say, oh, this has a higher projected return. So I'm going to invest in that one. And that is the wrong way to look at it. Yeah. And look, good sponsors, by the way. Uh, you'll also realize good sponsors typically have on paper at least lower numbers than other people do. Because they don't have to hustle that hard for your cash. They don't have to go convince people, hey, I'm the best person in the room or I'm the best steward of your capital. So they don't have to go make outlandish promises. And for some people, it works. And for some people, it doesn't. So that kind of boils down to your personality as an investor and a person also. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, the underlying deal itself as well, um, you know, if it has lower returns, it, it, you know, everything else being equal, it probably has less risk. It, it, yeah. Everything else is the same. Yeah. But again, experienced sponsors, they don't have to convince people. A lot of this comes in, a lot of times people talk about sales factors. How do we get people in? I'm like, look, if you're a solid sponsor with a good track record, there is some element of salesmanship. Don't get me wrong. All, all, all of this work is sales. But you don't have to jump through so many hoops because you're like, look, dude, here's a list of stuff I've done in the past. Here's a list of stuff I'm doing right now. There's a line outside the door. Let me know when you make up your mind. Exactly. And that's it is like that. <laughs> yeah, it is like that. Right. And that emphasizes the point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, walk us through maybe what happens after closing. What, what happens after, you know, you make that, you send that wire and sometimes it, it's dead air. 
you know? You oh, no, no, no. That, okay, so anybody who does that, you never give them a dime of your money. I don't care how good they are. So I, can, I don't know about other people. I can tell you what happens in our case. What happens in our case is that because I have gone through this experience, so I don't just mentally, I don't want other people going through this, right? About the dead air part, where I have had to confirm, hey, did you get the money? And then wait a week and you're nervous. And yeah, I got the money. Like, Dude, you could have just told me this a week ago, right? So look, in our particular case, we like multiple touches, both pre and post. So pre basically is a lot of times investors ask, oh, where do I send the money? I say, look, man, the exchange consideration or the exchange of money, this happens right at the end. Number one, you know, we have talked, da, 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 da. You, look, you look at the deal, you approve it. If you approve it, then you look at the legal documents. If you read them, you review them, you sign them. Once that is done, and we confirm from our side, hey, you're in. Then and only then do you transfer the fund. And by the way, when you transfer the fund, I always tell all the investors, look, first of all, because I'm sending you this secure through a secure portal, you still have to call me or my investor relations person manually, like over the phone, pick up the phone, manually confirm the account and routing details, manually. And I say, or my investor relations guy, I say, yes. Then you send the wire. You send us an email saying, I have sent the wire. And from our side, we will get back to you within 24 hours saying, yes, we have received the money. So there is like this three or four step process. And some people say, oh, why do I got to go do that? I'm like, look, man, frankly, it's your money. I don't really care if people burn that money. I have to do, I have to follow my set of processes, right? So that's the set of processes we do. So this is like, say, you send me the money, we get it. Now, post-closing, what happens is that any, any, every month, you'll be getting constant communications from us on a monthly cadence. Anytime there's a material event that happens, so for instance, you know, a tornado happens or there's a fire, it hasn't happened yet, but let's assume there is a fire, hopefully it never happens, right? Uh, we will let you know. So it's monthly, every time there's a material event happening, every quarter you will get the financials plus those continuous monthly updates, every year you will get the K1 plus those constant monthly updates plus the financials. So we are always in touch with you. So there are, say for instance, certain of my investors, they're in like eight or 10 of our deals, so per month, apart from like the mail, the email stuff that we send out every two weeks, they're getting like 10 or 12 emails from us. But they're from different deals because we have to keep them apprised about what's going on. Yeah. So that that's the flow of the communication of what happens. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it just gives you that extra layer of comfort. And when you can keep that line of communication open, even if it's a, an email about a new deal or yeah. you know, a financial update um, on you know, how the rehab's going, things like that. It just lets the investors know, hey, we're still in this with you. We're still you know, doing work on our yeah. side. Um, we're still working to get those returns that we promised you. Yeah, and look, a lot of this is just not even any, like to date, I can tell you this, I have yet to receive it. Because again, maybe we're in communication with investors frequently. To date, I have yet to receive some sort of a left field question. I mean, it's always like, hey, what do you think about this? Are you going to sell this the next year? Uh, you know, X, Y, Z has happened. Are you concerned about this? You know, nothing profound. I mean, Jesus Christ, we're in real estate, man. There is nothing profound here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, business has been around as, as long as time. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not right to recreate the wheel here. We're not Elon Musk. At least I'm definitely not Elon Musk. <laughs> All right, Omar, before we jump into the Freedom Four, what's one last gold nugget for our listeners? Look, the golden nugget is that same thing. It's about having patience. And like I said, measuring twice and cutting once. Do not ever tell people, anyone, look, I'm a sponsor. Do not even tell me this, right? That you just have to go invest this money. Because I'm telling you, the day you say this thing, people start treating you like a walking, talking, waiting in. Right? Don't do that. 
Take your time. Just realize that you might think, oh, inflation is 7%. My money's sitting in the bank. It's a lot better than losing all your money. Okay, 7% a year is still going to take, what, 14, 15 years to lose all of your money versus losing it all in one year. So think about that. So measure twice, start once, and be a little patient. There we go. All right, let's jump into the Freedom 4. It's time for the Freedom 4. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Oh, dude, I, I should be exercising more. I don't. I've got two kids, but that's just my cue. Uh, with regards to mind, I, I like to read a lot. I, I generally just... I just generally like to read. I sleeping, I think seven to eight hours is essential. I'm not really there yet with kids. And apart from that, uh, I keep myself mentally engaged because I'm very lucky to have a lot of great investors in multiple fields. So just by talking to them, I'm keeping myself mentally engaged all the time. But physical part, I need to get better on. Love it. <laughs> you get there, man. With all your success, what is one limiting belief that you crushed along the way and how did you get past it? Uh, Look, I think there's always a fear of the unknown, right? Or rather the fear of, hey, if I do this, what happens? So that's, so I wouldn't say it's, it's less of a limiting belief and it's always a thing that for me at least is, hey, you get to a goal, now to get to the next goal, there's always a limiting belief. Can I get there? Will I get there? Will I lose a lot of money? So that, like that limiting belief, that the ceiling of that limiting belief is going up. So I've crushed certain levels of that limiting belief, but that ceiling is going up. So I haven't completely solved that problem yet. Yeah, no, I love that. Like, I'm not limitless as an example. You know where some people are like, hey, we can do everything. I'm still not at that stage yet. Yeah, yeah. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom? Oh, uh, diligently start, diligently start managing, like recording your time. Forget about managing it. So, for instance, I'm a slave to my calendar. My uh, my wife, my mother, my parents, everybody makes them, used to make a lot of fun of me. Hey, so I tell them, look, it's not on the calendar. It doesn't exist, Right. Uh, they used to make fun of me. They don't make fun of me anymore because you have to diligently manage your time, especially if you're a high income working professional, because time is the only thing we don't have or we can't make more of with, even with our money, we can't make more of it. So measure it because once you start measuring it, you start realizing how much time you're wasting. Then you can start optimizing it. Do the same thing, man. I say, if it doesn't make the calendar, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. exist. It does yeah. not exist. <laughs> And it turns off a lot of people. It's really weird. Like a lot of my friends, they did, they just, they don't get it. I'm like, look, dude, it's just the way it is, man. What do you want me to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, last but not least, how has passive income made your life better? Oh, shit, are you kidding me? Like it's made it better in all sorts of ways. I'm like, look, when I look around, for instance, people who are say, more intelligent and better corporate careers, but I'm not in a corporate career anymore. What it's given me is time freedom uh, to a certain degree. I don't see that with a lot of working professionals. People who are, say, more intelligent got better grades. Time is the one freedom they don't have. And we have that to a certain degree, not completely. And that's the one thing I'm most grateful about. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's all about time and creating the flexibility with that. Time. Yeah, flexibility, because I feel most people aren't uh, averse to working. It's just you don't want to be put in a rigid box of, hey, you've got to do this at 10 a.m., right? When there's no, yeah. it's an artificial deadline, basically. Yeah. Yeah, us as, as entrepreneurs, we have a million things to do every day and we fill up that calendar. But if something comes up and we have to be somewhere at a certain time yeah. or, or this half a day, we can clear that schedule. And oh, dude, like for instance, I've got kids now and anytime, you know, some of my kid is whatever, wants to go out or does something or kid's sick, I have the flexibility to a certain degree, not always, to be like, oh, we're just going to do it with the kid. I don't really have to be bothered about it. And I can move my calendar around if, if the need arises. Yeah, exactly. All right, Omar, this has been awesome, man. Where can our listeners find out more about you? 
Well, you can go to our website, boardwalkwealth.com, B-O-A-R-D, Walk Wealth. I think you'll have it in the show notes, right? Yes. Uh, right on the top, right? You'll see an email around well, 30% of the way down from the right. You'll see an email option page. There's main email. Have you found out about us? Fill it up. You'll get an email. Click on the link to verify yourself because your email provider knows we're not spamming you when you click on the link. And or you can reach out to me, Omar, O-M-A-R, at boardwalkwealth.com. Happy to answer any questions, help you in any way that I can. All right, brother. We'll drop all that in the show notes. Appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thank you for having me. Bye. All right. Omar Khan, my good buddy from Boardwalk Wealth, always has a wealth of knowledge to drop on everyone. Um, and today was no exception. I especially loved how he talked about the qualitative versus the quantitative way to evaluate a sponsor and how you go about doing that and trusting your gut. And that is the major key for today. Trust your gut. Take the opportunity to take that call with the sponsor you're considering investing with, with and ask yourself, how does it feel? And once you decide, trust it. All right. If you're ready for a change and ready to take action, partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals. Go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. All right, kids, as always, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.